you found the most positive place on the internet. Thanks for listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome, dear friends, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. This is the show for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little deeper in life than you may do on your own. We are here to offer you a unique perspective from both worlds at the same time. I'm Callie Alpert, happy to say on the left coast in Los Angeles with my dear friend, co-host and spiritual psychotherapist Steve Hassenberg. Yes, Callie and I had dinner last night. We did. For the first time since last summer. Yes. But you brought the cold weather with you. (laughs) I can blame it on me. I do. Because it was 41 degrees at the top of Topanga Canyon last night. Yes, it was. And we're going to keep hearing about it, apparently. (laughs) Uh, And we could not eat outside because it was too cold. I know. Well, we had a great time. We did have a great time. And it's just a joy to be in the same space versus the virtual space. Yes. It's a very important. I highly recommend it being in person. It's really a good thing. Total gift. So today we're going to continue our mini series, Spiritual Self-Help Legends. And today we're going to focus on Muji street artist turned global teacher. So Muji was born in Jamaica, raised in his early years by his father and then by his very strict uncle in the UK. And he endured a lot of hardship in his um, early and coming up years. By age 30, he was married and had a young son and he was working as a street artist and later an art teacher when an encounter with a Christian launched his spiritual path. In 1993, he left his wife and his son. His son would die the next year, and Muji um, traveled to India. And this is where he encountered his guru, Papaji, who would change his life and shape the wisdom that would soon attract and inspire followers around the globe, especially Steve, who turned me <laughs> on to Muji. We will, discuss, right. <laughs> we will discuss how Muji has impacted us, but again, particularly you, because I'm just learning about him, uh-huh. and you've been a loyal student and appreciated for a long time. Devotee. Share thoughts and stories about the seeker's path, and we'll break down some of Muji's most poetic and prophetic quotes that can inspire us all. Oh, so... Yeah. What is a devotee? Why don't we start with that? Because it's so interesting when you think about like the term teacher in spiritual world, mm-hmm. because now I'm accustomed to it. But teacher doesn't mean you're in a classroom, you know, looking at a group of people. Teacher doesn't mean it's even a physical person in an earthly body on earth at the same time. Teacher can mean your spiritual teacher from another ascended. Right. Right. So can you talk a little bit about de- what devotee means and why you're uh, why you use that term? What makes you a devotee? Well, I like the word devotee. You just want to say it. Because it feels dramatic. Yeah. So for me, devotee is somebody who has a passion. A devotee is obviously devotion. And so I have a passion about Muji. And I've had that passion ever since my daughter, Elise, was turned me on to him. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she was listening to Muji on YouTube, and she sent me some tapes. Well, she said, go to YouTube, look at this up. And I was absolutely smitten. And I don't get smitten easily, you know that. You're a very tough audience. I'm a kind of almost (laughs) (laughs) anti-smitten. So I got smitten with him. Why? You can ask me about this. Why? Because he's so poetic. Mm. 
he, I'm a big devotee of poetry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Muji is an artist, first of all. So artists tend to be very sensitive. Uh, certain kinds of artists are extremely poetic and articulate. And Muji was one of those people, so he kind of hooked me. And you also take one to know one are a genius artist, but I can say that because you won't. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so was it? Did did you start following him right after yeah, that religiously, as it were? I did because um, he obviously was saying things in a certain way that deeply resonated with me. I wasn't looking for another path, but he was describing the spiritual experiences that I was having in a way that made it even more clear to myself, Mm -hmm. which is so cool. It's really an amazing thing when you find people that you resonate with in life on any level. I mean, you know, I have, I get a little overly excited about that because it's such a special, precious thing when it happens. And also with um, spiritual teachers, I guess is the terminology, you know, you and I both have had um, the the gift and luxury of being around a lot of them by nature of our own personal paths Mm -hmm. and our work. And so after a while, you can get, you know, you get a little discerning, I guess, like anybody does in any orbit that they travel in a lot. And so, um, yeah, it's, I think it says a lot when somebody really kind of breaks through the smitten, the anti-smitten wall, you know? (laughs) Do you have a devotee that you met at Omega? Are you a devotee of somebody? Um, so interesting. I don't, cause I, I don't connect with that word. Oh, okay. You know, um, I have to think about that a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, plus given that I work there, I'll be in, you know, equal opportunity lover. I don't want to, I don't want to discriminate. Um, but I actually, I'm, I'm half joking. I really need to think about it. Certainly are there are plenty of teachers I resonate more uh-huh. with more than others. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is like an energetic thing. It really is mm-hmm. just like it's it's, it's purely not just energetic. A, yeah, it's not a it's not something you can really describe. It's the same as when you meet anybody in your life that you have sort of chemistry with, right? spiritual chemistry. You know, yeah. And as I always say, chemistry is memory. Ah, oh, meaning like recognition from another burst of stardust somewhere. Yeah, it's like either recognition of a certain spiritual pathway that you remember. Yeah. The recognition of a particular person whose voice or attitude is something you remember. And so that sparks this memory. And then all these resonant like cells start to activate and go, oh, my God, I feel like I'm at home. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I get that. I get that. So before we go further and get specifically into Muji today, I want to invite anybody um, listening who would like to call in, share your love for Muji, talk about just the overall concept of teachers and devotees and whatever you whatever rocks your world, your own spiritual path. We always want to hear. Um, the number is eight one six two five one three five five five. We'd love to hear from you as we always do. So um, Muji today is um, about 69 years old. Um, so let's talk a little bit just about how he came up. You know, again, you know a lot more. I've, I've learned I've become a, um, sort of a quick study on it. Um, but I know you have a lot more of the, his story, um, your familiarity with his story. Um, so he grew up in, he was born, raised in Jamaica, right? Born in Jamaica. Um, parents got divorced when he was young. One year. Oh, he was he was only in Jamaica for one year before he his parents got divorced, and then he went to live with his father in the UK. Yes, um, there was a bit of a sordid family story there, and that his father ended up falling in love with and marrying a cousin of his, um, right? And so, again, I I imagine that that must have been a very specific and challenging energy to be around and complicated for a little boy. Um, And when his father died at age eight, Muji was then um, raised by an uncle, a very, very strict uncle until he went back to his mom as a teenager. 
and became a street artist. So even that, you know, just all of that transition and different influences in different homes at such a young age, um, you know, makes a significant imprint. Um, anything you wanted to add there? Yeah, I'd like to say that when there's chaos in childhood and, you know, adolescence, there's often everybody has chaos. I must yeah. say this. Mm-hmm. But when there's excessive chaos moving from one parent to another, grandfather, uncles, all this stuff, uh, people like that either get tend to get very depressed or in the best way, they tend to search for meaning. And so I think his search for meaning probably started very young. Mm. Probably his search for security, which meaning provides sometimes, started very young. And he was already a seeker, seeking something that was more fulfilling, loving, harmonious. That's certainly what happened to me. Raising my hand. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I never even, I'm just thinking. It's so interesting. I never even really put that together. It makes perfect sense mm-hmm. from a psychological and spiritual perspective now in retrospect when we get a little older and wiser. But I think I've told you this. I think about like all the times that I was aware of some sort of God presence and, you know, a larger thing going on when I was a very young kid and also grew up in a very chaotic, very dysfunctional, very angry and dramatic and volatile and you name it. And also really fun. And really, it, it was a lot of different things. It was roller coaster house. So I got both sides of the spectrum and everything in between. But I never tied that, you know, because I and I, I did um, actually start seeking or whatever word we like to use. I don't use that word so much anymore. Um, in my teen years and definitely early 20s, but I wasn't putting it together at the time that that might have been a byproduct of feeling so lost and not at home at home. Well, that's right. Mm-hmm. Not at home, at home. Mm-hmm. That's right? our new bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. That definitely causes a lot of momentum yeah. to try to find home. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I think we feel- all are seeking, like E.T., we're <laughs> all seeking home. <laughs> it's true. In one way or another, through other people, through drugs, through spiritual pursuits, through accumulation of money. We're seeking home, mm. security. Right, it's true. And we could just, you know, get right to the end of the, the story and just share the punchline. For those who might not know it already, I'm sure many people listening do, <laughs> is that there's only one place that home really lives and it's inside of us. And it's just a matter of shedding all the layers so that we can remember all that. Um, but man, it takes quite a ride to to get there and remember. It's really quite a trip. Um, so, yes, I like good offshoot conversations. I like this. Um, I'm just thinking of the, I have an image of tumbleweed for me lately because I feel like I've just been a tumbleweed, like floating around, drifting Mm -hmm. around between Mm -hmm. moving jobs, Mm -hmm. landing in a place, you know, out here now in California, the biggest motivation being that this is where I have the most people that I love in one spot. And I needed Mm -hmm. to just feel that that was my initial motivation. There we go. Um, You know, so, and and so it really, that definitely, um, you know, that the feeling is still very present sometimes. Um, So then another tragedy in Muji's life in 1985, his sister was shot and paralyzed in a police raid. Do you know the Mm -hmm. details of this story? Was it, Un, you know, like, all I know about it, it caused a great riot. Yeah, called the Brixton. Brixton, Brixton riot. And uh, she was obviously the catalyst, the match that lit the fire. So that was also big for him. Mm. Right? That person from Jamaica who's black skinned starts, begins this riot that takes over this entire area. And so two years later, he had an encounter with a Christian. Um, I don't know to what to, what that means exactly in terms of like what, the, in what form or denomination that, that came in the 80s, you know, on the streets of Brixton. Um, but it sounded like it was a chance encounter that moved him and launched his spiritual quest. 
mm-hmm. um, and at this time he was still a um, street artist, perhaps an art teacher by then, sometime right in that right. in that time frame, right? Mm-hmm. Graphic artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at age forty, as I said in the introduction, um, I think I said in the <laughs> I think I said in the introduction, yeah. Um, he had hit right at, by age 30 he was married and he had a young son by 40 when it, um he quit his life in the uk and went to india so basically left his young family behind to prioritize his soul searching and his spiritual quest at that's that time. what the buddha did actually the buddha left his uh son and his wife which in india was uh, obviously an arranged marriage we're going to assume they had a good marriage. And he left at 26 to find God. And he left at 26, really, in terms of the Buddhist principles, to understand how to come overcome human suffering. <clears throat> Old age, sickness, and death. And that propelled him on his journey and, and like Muji, he was seeking a spiritual teacher. And, well, I'm not going to tell this whole story, but he was seeking a spiritual spiritual teacher. He didn't find one. And then he, years later, sat under the Bodhi tree. And then we're going to tell the story, which I'm not going to finish yet. Muji had a spiritual teacher, Papaji. Mm-hmm. And that didn't satisfy him either. Mm-hmm. And just to tease this up a little bit more, because this story, you know, when you start putting the pieces together, some of our greatest spiritual icons, there are, and we're going to talk about a few of these today, there's another common uh, thread, another similarity in that like Ramdas, when Ramdas, after he had been through his academia chapter, mm-hmm. Um, after he had been through his psychedelic chapter and then decided he wanted to go search for higher consciousness in India. When he was first there, he was, I can't remember how long it was, if it was a a month or I might be making that up. Um, And we do have, by the way, a very special Ram Dass-centric show um, brewing, which we're very excited about and we'll share with you in the coming weeks. he was on the verge of leaving. He was just about to like call it quits. I didn't find it. I looked around. Is it you? Is it you? Are you the one with the knowledge? Are you the one with the wisdom? Are you the one who's going to teach me what I need to know? And he didn't find it. And he was literally about to leave the country mm-hmm. until he met the one person, um, Bhagwan Das, Bhag- uh, um, yes, that's right. who um, introduced him to his great teacher, Maharaji. So it's very interesting how these things happen. So that's a good sort of cliffhanger for the Muji story, right? Cliffhanger. <laughs> Is there something you wanted to say about that one? Only the fact that my old dear friend Dick H uh, was in India probably uh, 15 years ago seeking enlightenment, seeking a guru. And uh, he looked, 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 nothing happened. And the day before he was going to leave, somebody came up to him, he didn't know, and he gave him a card, and he said, go see this man. Oh, my God. And so he changed his airplane flight, and he went to see this person, and he sat in a kind of living room. And when he was sitting in the living room, he noticed on the wall was the same painting that he had in his living room. And the man came out and the man proceeded to tell him all about his life. Uh, Wow. And he became, for a period of time, his teacher. Oh, I love these stories. I love these stories. I have such goosebumps. I don't think I've, I haven't heard that story from you. Right. That's so good. Right. And it's so, so what does that speak to? You know, when you think about people that are looking for teachers, when I was at um, the ashram that I visited over the holidays and I took an extra, extra like bhakti yoga um, program, like course, and one of the um, lectures was devoted to finding your teacher. 
And I, uh, you know, she, they, she talked about like the idea of having to ask, you know, cause how much control do you really have over that? Except for like, you know, when you're ready, you try to be open, you do your proper praying or acting, you know, whatever asking. Um, but do you think that these stories all have surrender as their common theme? Like the day yes, that I you do. know that you're going to like leave and you're throwing your hands up, then suddenly the magic comes in. Yes, right. I do. And your teacher always finds you. They always say energetically because yeah. I'm thinking about Yogananda, I believe also there, right. There's always teachers always sort of know on some other level. Well, before right. we meet them. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree that when you give up, a lot can happen. Not always. A lot can remain empty, but it does occur. And if we talk about Buckminster Fuller, <laughs> who people know, people may or may not know, he, he was the father of the geodesic dome. Right. And when he was 24, he was going to commit suicide. And he went to a lake. He was going to go, jump in and drown himself. And as he was approaching the lake and walking in, a voice came to him and said, you have a big mission here on earth. And you should stop worrying about how people think about you and just get on with your purpose. Hmm. And he did. I'm laughing because um, you and I have uh, one of our favorite themes of late, which we'll get to a little later in the show, has to do with the the theme of what we're calling the path versus no path. People that have more of a spontaneous version of enlightenment. We have our list, including Buckminster, Mm -hmm. right? Buckminster Fuller. Fuller. Um, And then people that, have to really work and practice and struggle and scrape and claw like yours truly, like the two of us and a lot of other people on this planet to get to a place of wherever it is we're seeking to go. Um, so we'll get back to that, but back to Muji. Um, so do you want to talk about what happens, the sort of denouement of what happens when he throws his hands up and month after month, he says, I'm leaving, nothing's happening. So I, he's, you know, there is his son had passed away. His son has passed away. He's sitting with Papaji. So I used to sit with Maharishi. I've sat with other teachers. And you sit and you listen. And you're hoping that today he'll turn to me. Maharishi, Papaji will turn to me and say, mm-hmm. you are anointed Mm-hmm. And you will become liberated in that moment. And those days go on forever. And uh, you're always disappointed. It doesn't happen. And so Muji uh, was in that state with with Papaji for months and finally said, who am I kidding? This doesn't work. This is not my teacher. I'm done. And he walked out went into the streets of India, wherever he was, walking, walking, eating something, walking, and all of a sudden, it was as if his mind exploded, and he saw Papaji's face in a thousand fragments wherever he looked, and it just went on and on and on, and he realized Papaji was calling him back and that was his real teacher so that is sort of a moment talk about your ego sort of getting blown out a little bit right and something bigger coming in and kind of opening it up for you and redirecting you or landing you whatever big time yeah right that's beautiful so he do we know how long he stayed with papaji or how long he stayed in india well um I think he stayed in India for a month or two more. And then uh, he was a very charismatic individual. And even prior to the Papaji experience, uh, people were very drawn to him. After the Papaji experience, and you'll talk about McDonald's after the break, but 
after the Papaji experience, he was obviously more radiant and he began to attract a lot of followers. That's the other thing that's so interesting. I mean, we, you and I talk about this a lot, the difference between like nowadays, how, you know, everyone and their mother wants to be a spiritual teacher. Everyone's an expert. Everybody's a YouTube sensation. You get the right, you spend half your life just focusing on getting your followers. And then suddenly you've got a validated spiritual teacher brand. And it's just so beautiful to be reminded that that's not what happened with a lot of these, you know, people from the, I would say older generations, because he's really not that old, but um it's just such a good reminder of how organically things can happen when they're really supposed to happen. And I'm not saying that they're not supposed to happen to people that are using digital media as one of their support right. systems to, you know, to grow their exposure. Cause that's a beautiful uh-huh. thing too. And we'll talk about, you know, and that actually brought um, Muji further onto the map. Um, but when you think about how people just like to hear what he said and just to, the, to pay off that story, what he started writing his teachings on straw paper, um, from McDonald's, the white wrapping paper and giving them away as thoughts for the day. And that's what ultimately was the springboard for people to start putting him on YouTube a um, little less than 20 years ago. So with that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about Muji, what it's like to be a seeker and share some of Muji's most poetic and prophetic quotes. We will be right back. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome back. We are here with One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. We are talking today as we continue our mini-series on spiritual self-help legends, according to us, by the way, not according to anyone else, (laughs) although there's definitely shared appreciation for a lot of these people we're featuring. Um, Muji, street artist, Jamaican street artist turned global spiritual teacher, um, Steve being one of his devotees. I don't even know if I'm saying the word right. Um, so we talked a little bit about Muji coming up in the streets of, um, well, being born in Jamaica, coming up in the streets of the UK, trials and tribulations, um, just the idea of what it means to be a seeker, the fact that he prioritized, uh, he left his young, you know, his wife and kid to go to India because he was more overtaken by the idea of uh, seeking spiritual enlightenment. I guess, than anything at that time. And just to finish that thought, actually, before we move into some of the other talking points we had, I think about, because that's a really, that's a big topic, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, there's so many examples that are popping into my head now of just like where people that love people um, in the truest unconditional way, and I don't know enough about his family and how his wife and kid felt about him leaving, but when you're that, it's very easy to be set up for a lot of judgment and criticism and disappointment and being disappoint, um, disappointing by people when you leave the earthly commitment, priority, responsibilities that you've created for yourself. Right. They forced you to get married and have a kid. Um, and then take off to do something that um, some would say is, you know, of whatever higher purpose. It's very hard to know everybody's stories are individual. But I remember... Years ago, I can't remember who it was. Somebody in my travels. I was much younger, so I didn't under I didn't have context. And I remember this woman that I met, maybe traveling, conversationally, sort of as a confession, told me that she was just in the process of reconciling with her two daughters, who at the time maybe were twenty, because this this mother of two had taken off to perhaps India or wherever to seek herself. Mm-hmm. and to find her spiritual mm-hmm. purpose, enlightenment, whatever, and was only, and was basically gone, like truly left them for the mm-hmm. crux of their childhood and teenage years, and then came back and was trying to reconcile. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know this woman anymore, so I have no idea how that went. But at the time I was like, 
how most people would react. Really? How do you do that? Why do you leave your kids? Like all those normal human reactions, you know, now coming from a different lens. I think it's a deep, profound thing. And I'm sure it doesn't come easily to a lot of people that leave. And I'm not judging it or condoning it. But it's intense. Right. It could be like the most extraordinary okay. thing, the most selfish. Yeah. Right. Who's to say? It's fascinating, though. So when Buddha left his family, we'll finish this because it's a little different than Muji's. Uh, he spent about four years, tra- maybe four, five, six years traveling through India, working with different uh, gurus and different philosophies and never found anything. And that's when he decided that he'd go in the forest and he sat under that Bodhi tree and made this declaration that I'm going to sit here until I attain uh, liberation or I will die. So that's how strong it was for him. And he did. And he did. Thank goodness. For and all he of us. did, right? Even though he left his wife and kids. Yeah, we don't hear about that part so much. No. I'm not familiar with that part of the story. Because he has such a large story. You know, he has a world story. So you don't hear about the people left behind. But don't forget, he was a prince. His father was a king. And so the wife and son were pretty well off. And... (laughs) Well, on paper, we don't know how what their abandonment issues were triggered by that whole process, though. We don't. But culturally, at that time, uh, men, men would often leave their families. It happened quite often and seek liberation in the forest. But it usually happened much later. It's it's really, it's interesting. So much I could say, even back to the fact that we don't hear about that side of the story, because that's don't. important. It's it very is. easy to canonize and romanticize all these teachers right. and these stories. And it's very rare. We were talking about it before the show. It's very rare that anybody has a clean bill, of, you know, bill of whatever, bill of conscience, bill right. of integrity. I don't know what any of us do. It's part of the deal here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are all kinds of things that go haywire. Yep, that's true. Um, so we talked a little bit about the break about how Muji, uh, his thoughts for the day started to get, um, find their way to McDonald's um, paper, straw paper wrapping. And that's how they got sort of distributed on the streets of, I guess it was Brixton or wherever he was in the UK. And then his YouTube career was launched in 2005 when most of us weren't quite aware of YouTube, or at least a lot of us weren't. It was really at the burgeoning stages of that, right? And that's really, right? Isn't that what sort of really launched this whole thing? It did. So he became, actually, he went viral before before viral was a word. And uh, people started being attracted to him. And I know we talked about this in our pre-production, so I want to bring it up which is the differentiation between having a path and not having a path. (laughs) This is our favorite topic of the week, at least. Go ahead. So uh, I was talking to Callie about the (laughs) fact that there are a number of individuals that we're very enamored about who had no path. And we'll, we'll discuss what that means. So the list has, right right now, the list is increasing. Right now, we have Buckminster Fuller, Byron Katie, Eckhart Tolle, uh, Matt Kahn, Matt may not agree with this, uh, and uh, Anita, who we talked about last week. Right, more Johnny. And also um, Rob Worgen, a little bit, the um, energy healer. Who that is, yeah. Right, Um, pretty esteemed uh, energy healer. And Werner Earhart. Werner Earhart. You told me about that one. I did. So what does it mean to have no path? Callie? Well, (laughs) so I'm laughing. And yeah, we do have to, I think probably with Matt Kahn, that's the one that we probably, um, it's a little, it's not as hard a line as some of these other stories are. Um, but we'll have to delve into that a little bit more deeply and find out. Um, but 
with all of with especially like Byron Katie and Eckhart Tolle, the ones that we we talked about a lot, both of them were um, horribly depressed and suicidal. Uh, Byron Katie was in a mental institution. institution. Mm-hmm. Um, Eckhart Tolle found his moment of space and enlightenment right when he was on the verge of taking his life. Yep. Um, we started to clump in more, so we want to be careful here too, because not to put these all together. These are unique stories, but our point is that like Anita Morjani is one who was living, um, you know, her her earthly life, um, had a very powerful near death experience, um, having been riddled with um, stage four cancer, and then went when she crossed over and collected the lessons that were meant for her to um, to gather while she was there, brought them back and her whole life changed. Her healing was spontaneous. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about is the difference between people like Steve and I and most people we know that um, grow up in a certain way or on a certain path and have to really work hard and make it a very devoted, effortful, committed, use the word vigilance and patience a lot with me over the years, mm-hmm. path. Right. In order to get to this place of enlightenment or freedom or liberation, the words that we use, right? Whereas with some of the examples we're talking about, either it happened very spontaneously or it happened pretty early in their life and the road, they were already kind of in flow and in divinity, in divinity and with source at a pretty young age and had an understanding. So the roadblocks weren't that loud. So that's kind of what we're trying to express here, Right. Right. But for 99.9% of us uh, sapiens, um, the spiritual path is a long one, can be arduous, can be ecstatic, can be frustrating. And we're working on our thoughts and our feelings and what the Buddhists call the mind stream. And we're differentiating that mind stream from our true nature. And that takes quite a long time for the people who had no path in quotes. They had that separation between the mind stream and their spiritual nature, or we could say between uh, the release of their ego Mm -hmm. and the experience of their spiritual nature spontaneously. Right. Or gently. Gently. Sometimes not gently. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're saying this because we want all of you to know who are on a spiritual path that these experiences that we read about in all the self-help books or that Muji talks about and other gurus on the YouTube are (laughs) not easily, it's not easy to come by them. Right. They take quite a bit of work. Right. Um, and it's such an interest. It's really, it's such an important thing to to um, remember. And again, you know, I want to just be really careful here. Certainly, for like the experiences that Byron Katie or Eckhart Tolle had, um, or Anita Marjani, or the rest, we're not in any way minimizing the amount of pain and suffering that they experienced. What we're talking about is how the Enlightenment piece. And the mm-hmm. merging with a higher level of and regular level of flow happened literally overnight, right? Or instantaneously. Rob Workin had a story like that as well, where he, um, I don't want to butcher it, but in his moment of sort of awakening, was um, contemplating taking his life, and had a spontaneous experience, astral experience on a beach where he was surrounded by angels that spoke to him and told him that he needed to stay and what his purpose was and led him into healing, which is something that he does and, you know, impacts and helps a lot of people now. So that's really the distinction that we're making. So where do we put Muji and what cat, what side of that, what category? Well, Muji was definitely a seeker. Yeah. But he had a spontaneous enlightenment and that changed his entire life. We could say spontaneous enlightenments are biblical. Mm, right. <laughs> Hit upside the head, lightning bolt style. Well, on your horse on the way to Damascus, <laughs> you're struck by lightning. <laughs> but then again, I mean, you like, so let's talk about you for a moment. My okay. favorite topic, you. So 
you have, um, I don't want to, I can't measure equal parts, but you have a beautiful long trajectory of amazing astral ego dissolution source divinity mm -hmm. stories that you've had right. since a very young boy that continue and get mm -hmm. more robust as you've gotten older. You've mm -hmm. also worked your ass off right. to get to this place. So right. some of them happen spontaneously before you even started your ride. They did. And then others are happening more recently as a result of the amount of um, spiritual practice Both. that you have invested in yourself, Both. right? Right. So that's an interesting combo that you don't hear that much. I just want to recognize right. that. I've had biblical experiences. You have. And I've had extremely mundane experiences. <laughs> yeah. And I've had a lot of experiences walking in swamps with alligators and part of the big journey. So, yes, I've had both. Thank you for pointing that out. It's just interesting. Yeah. It's like yeah. I just see two. I'm looking at you. I'm just seeing two parallel yeah. lines, you know. That's true. Um, so, yeah. I'm still, <laughs> I can't even talk about myself. I have no objectivity whatsoever. Um, so let's talk about some of the beautiful quotes. As Steve said earlier, one of, and one of your reasons that you have such an appreciation for Muji is, is because of he's got an artist and poet soul and, um, and has created some beautiful art. So he's got some quotes here we're going to share. The first one, step into the fire of self-discovery. This fire will not burn you. It will only burn what you are not. Beautiful. I love that. It's so beautiful. Now, what the heck does it mean? You, what you are not, if we want to go back to Don Miguel Ruiz, it has to do with all of the conditioned responses, all of the ideas that we've learned from our parents, all the ways we've had to conform. And truthfully, that is everything that we're not. The indoctrination, the checklist of yep. earth life. The, the checklist of earth life is very, very important and is important to our spiritual growth, but it does not allow us to know who we are. It it's covers it up away. like clouds. It's right? amazing. It's still such a wild thing to me that we're... Isn't it? This earth indoctrination thing, it was so universal. We should be this we should do that we should right. fit into this we should accomplish this we should achieve this we should feel this way mm -hmm. we should try this we should not you know should 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 shoulds that's so common and so universal and yet it's the biggest attraction from knowing ourselves and so that's why when people have these quote unquote life crises where things are getting burned away and you know dismantled and hor horrible you know difficult struggles health crisis and financial loss and civil unrest and divorce and death and all kinds of things that, you know, these human challenges that we all experience can often be the greatest catalyst for our greatest self-discovery and growth if we know what to do with that and lean into it and way more easily said than done. But I think my, that's what this quote means. My client lost their home mm. three years ago in the Malibu fire and lost all of her possessions, except one or two, devastated for months, called me. And uh, we've been on this journey together. And uh, she now sees it as one of the greatest things that ever happened to her. I got goosebumps from that. All right. Can you, for the, without, um, obviously not, I don't want to ask too too deep a question in respect of um, this person, your your client, but can you, for the for the benefit of everybody listening, give us the punchline of what one of the greatest gifts is, or just the general area of what she's recognizing? Well, yeah, one of the greatest gifts is that she had to go into total surrender. She didn't know what she was going to do. And because she did eventually go into surrender, uh, all kinds of wonderful things began to happen. Mm, because the baggage, which we do not consider baggage at all, 
But for her, from her soul's point of view, the baggage that was burned away freed her and she obtained a greater lightness of being. Goosebumps. Beautiful. And God bless her. Right. That's not an, that can't be an easy situation to deal right. with. Yeah. I was thinking today, I was actually just chuckling to myself like an hour ago, just because of bombardment of stuff that came up even to, that are, that's around me now. And the list is just com- gets compounded. And today it got more compounded with things in my life that are challenging that I have to deal with. And um, I was just laughing at how sometimes it all starts canceling each other out because all you can do the more you get stuff piled onto you and the harder things get is surrender there's nothing you can't it's too overwhelming there's there is no rational i gotta fix this i gotta work through this i gotta find an antidote to that it's just it forces you more to you know to just be in every single moment because it's the only thing you can do without your brain splitting apart right and you know so it really is there's there's some real great beauty in that um, and I'm happy to hear that about your, your uh, client. Um, another one, and then we're going to get to our action steps. Maybe we can get through one or two more. Dying to your own attachments is a beautiful death because this death releases you into real life. You have to die as a seed to live as a tree. We actually sort of just covered that. See, that's way. why. That's why I like him so much. Yeah, it's kind of like Rumi. Right? Touches me. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, let's get to one more that's that's a little yeah. fresh material. Sure. If you make human company too important, you will not discover your true self. Relationships not based in truth are never in, entirely reliable and are rarely enduring. Taking time to discover yourself is the best use of time. So prioritize this. Mm-hmm. Now, you were saying before the show that you have a little bit of mixed feeling about that or you don't necessarily well um, buy that one i agree with it and at the same time uh we we understand that the people who are um brought to us in this lifetime are very very important the people that we love the people that we hate they're all here as from cosmic central casting <laughs> in order to help us on our path because they're all here to help us learn. So I am not a monk. I am sure I've been a monk, but monks take a very solitary path. And I am on the path of the householder as you are. (laughs) And the beauty of the household path is you realize that every person who comes into your life, is an individual that can help you grow. Or if you if you don't manage those situations, can help you <laughs> regress. And so I see personal relationships in a very, very important way. And at the same time, I see the need for self-discovery to be very important. So I'm, I'm balanced in that. Yeah, I think that every... Um... I remember a television show I worked on years ago. I think I've talked about this and I was sharing in a big corner office in New York city with five other high tempered ladies. <laughs> and I used to, Oh my gosh, there was so much drama and competition and all these things. And I would sit in my little corner and just sort of smile and think about how we all represented different sort of archetypes. And I would try to explain to them, like, we're not in competition. We're, you know, we're just, we're all on our own. We're sharing a space and we're sharing a job and our titles are the same, but we're, um, you know, each of our storylines, each of our narratives is ours uniquely. So on this day, I meant to do this. And on this day, you're meant to do that. It's not because of one or the other necessarily, you know. Um, but I feel like uh, it's definitely a magical thing, all the people that get put in our path. And everybody's a mirror and they're the ones that you want to look into and the ones you don't, and the ones you don't are the ones that are probably more important, but they're not fun. And they're not easy. You know, half the time, I don't even, mm-hmm. I know enough to look at it as a mirror, but I don't still understand, mm-hmm. you know, um, in full capacity, what some of them are meant to mirror. But I think when I think, when I read this quote, I'm going to do this talk very quickly. Um, I think it's, I read this more as like to seek 
um, connection at the expense of connection with yourself because okay. it's our natural reflex as humans like to want to have company, to not want to be alone on a Saturday okay. night to, I don't know if it's as shallow as what he meant, but, um, or vice versa, I'm being more shallow. But I think that that's sort of how I interpret it, that if you don't stand in your own space and hold your own space and your own relationship and love affair with yourself first, that it's sort of um, a moot point to kind of do it with everybody else. Absolutely. So it's interesting, True. different interpretations, beautiful things. So quickly, our action steps for today in honor of Muji and some of the um, quotes and uh, inspirations that we have enjoyed as we've researched the show, put the show together for you. First one is to write a list of three attachments that you would like to get rid of from your life. It could be an attachment to a person, to a vice, to a habit, to an obsession, whatever it is for you. Pick one of them and practice releasing it every day. Even if it means in your mind, you just pretend to release it just to give it that kind of energy and reframe your relationship with, with, with whatever that um, thing or person is. Secondly, take 10 minutes out of the time you typically devote to social media or texting mm. or watching reruns right. of whatever you binge on and try trading it in for 10 minutes of silence alone without anything to activate or stimulate your mind. So you have a natural inclination to reach for your phone after dinner trade that in for 10 minutes of going and sitting mm. quietly, um, you know, in your bedroom and just staring at the wall in silence or closing your eyes and mm -hmm. focusing on the space between your eyebrows or whatever. We're not even asking for a formal official meditation, just a, a trade out to rehabituate and see, just notice how you feel. Notice if that feels different in your body and how you feel the next day about it. Mm -hmm. I should, I should take my own advice with a few things I'm saying here too. <laughs> There's a concept. Um, and then finally say yes to something that you're accustomed to saying no to. And that's an honor of one of our other favorite teachers, Michael Singer, the, um, untethered the author of untethered soul and the surrender. Is it the, the surrender experiment. project or experiment? I always confuse. Right. Okay. Michael Singer. So, um, what's an example of that? Like if you're, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're an introvert. And you really spend a lot of time alone and you say no to every social invitation and somebody asks you to go out to dinner. Maybe it's as uh -huh. simple as just saying yes for a cup of coffee. So there's a limited finite time without a major commitment. It's just about shifting the energy around all these things, right? So one, again, yeah. One footnote, I know we're almost up. I think the latest study is that people spend between eight and 10 hours either on TV or social media per day. Per day? Per day. Wow. Then I really am weird. Okay. Like, wow. That's amazing. That's really scary. Wow. Um, write three things that you, a list of three attachments you'd like to get rid of. Pick one and practice releasing it. Take 10 minutes out of your time that you typically devote to social media or your iPhone, whatever, and trade it in for 10 minutes of silence and say yes to something that you typically say no to. With that, we're going to thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next week. Find us on Instagram, One Soul Radio, and Facebook, One Soul Radio Podcast. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.